0: Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com.
1: And I'm Mark Gianacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog.
0: Thanks for joining us for the 1.2 episode of Amazing Spider Talk.
1: Oh, Dan, I'm already tired of this numbering system.
0: Yeah, I don't really know. Is it uh, uh, 1.2nd or 1.1st? I'm not... Or, and do it? Even know.
1: And does it sequentially fit into Series 1, Series 2, Series 3? I don't know. Anyway, continue.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we hope to look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture.
1: Yes. And for Episode 1.2, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Learning to Crawl, number 1.2 by Dan Slott and Ramon Perez answering your fan mail, distributing some prizes, discussing uh, great Spider news, and then concluded by discussing a classic issue, uh, which this time around will be the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man. And not the new first issue, the old first issue. The old new first... Wait, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and th- this means we'll be covering all the first issues now, Mark.
1: Yes, correct. the 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 The, the trifecta is complete.
0: <laughs> yep. If you hear this sound... Please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. Let's go back in time, Mark, and discuss the retro Spider-Man Learning to Crawl 1.2.
1: Dan, Amazing Spider-Man number 1.2. And uh, I'm just going to kick off the conversation by saying um, that some of the concerns I had when we discussed the first issue of this miniseries, you know, just in terms of, you know, where was this all going and, and who was the series ultimately geared for? Is it for hardcore fans, for casual fans, somewhere in the middle? Um, you know, now that we're two issues in, I, I, I'm not sure that my fears are being... Um, assuaged, so to speak, by what um, by what Dance Lot's doing here. Um, you know, it's 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 a fine enough script. It's an enjoyable read, and and Ramon Perez's art, which I'm sure we'll talk in more detail, is, is absolutely g- gorgeous. But you know, I I don't know what the hook is on this comic, and I I, I just don't know how long it's really going to maintain my attention for.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there, Mark. You know, I, I loved the first issue, and I thought that it had a real like sense of where it was going. And I think there's a couple things that really hold this issue back from being as good as that first one was. And I think uh, one of the big ones is that um, so much of this series is happening off-panel in this issue. It's got a lot of references back to the original story, but whereas the first issue, I thought really contained, you know, a a story that you could read on on, on its own with knowing very minimal, like, the basic Spider-Man stuff. This one really spends a lot of time referencing those other stories to the point that it almost feels like we're really reading just an in-between, like, you know, the panels of the original issue, which we're going to talk about later in the show. And so it makes it kind of difficult to read, and I can't even imagine what it's like for people to read who aren't, like, Obsessive fans like us Who know those first issues so well
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's You know, I think Kind of what you're saying is, you know, with the first issue of Learning to Crawl, I mean, it, it took place literally minutes after Amazing Fantasy 15 happened, but my my sense was it was still before Amazing Spider-Man 1, whereas this one is clearly, like you said, it's like weaving in and around the panels of, of Amazing Spider-Man 1 from, you know, the Fantastic Four encounter and the chameleon and, and, and J. Jonah Jameson's son uh, going into space and, and all of these things, and, and you're right, there's a lot of references... Something I did think was kind of weird was so we had all these references without really much of a editor 's note, and then like at some point uh, towards like the the middle later half of the of the book. There's like one editor's note from Nick Lowe about, you know, Spider-Man being you know demanding to be paid in cash yeah, rather than check. Yeah, I laughed check.
0: out loud when I saw that.
1: And it's like, really? That's that's that is <laughs> that is what you're choosing? <laughs> I mean, you know, I on, on when I wrote about this on Chasing, I was like, you know, I I can understand you not wanting to have all these notes littered over your comic book, but I think it's going to have to kind of be all or nothing on this, right? I mean, like, you're either going to help the reader out or you're not, right?
0: I mean, why not, like, maybe include at the very bottom of the page, like, a reading guide? Like, on each page, like, now read issue one of Amazing Spider-Man or something like that. I mean, that way at least you can, you know, they're going under the conceit that people have access to these early issues, which, you know, they're available almost everywhere, so, like, if you're assuming that they've read them, you, you know, you might as well assume that they have them as well. So, I, I don't really know, you know. That, at least to me, that would have been helpful. I mean, I, I know them very well, but you know, this would really help clear it up. What do you think about that idea?
1: Yeah, you know, or hey, you know, put 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 like a, an appendix at the end of the issue, and you know, if you add four extra pages and some illustrations, you can charge an extra buck for it, which seems to be Marvel's mo. So, you know, like, hey, here we go, Marvel, we just found a way to make more money for you, uh, and, and help and help the and help the casual reader out in the process. But no, I agree that there, there needs to be there needs to be something, or you know, like I said, to me, it's all or nothing. I mean, I would prefer that there is something because. I don't think you can assume that people know what's going on and and you know you would think with uh the movie and rebooting the series that you know marvel would be trying to be catering to new readers and get them hooked um and if they're like wait what's this why why does he have why why did he walk into a thing you know what i mean like um you know you're you're probably gonna lose those readers uh without some you know giving them some idea where, where you're pulling your your source material from
0: yeah, uh, and and it's funny because they 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 tease these events. They show like the chameleon and and you know the Fantastic Four. But for me, it's either all or nothing. Like show those full scenes. And I thought the first issue kind of did, like rereading Amazing Spider Man number one for this podcast. You know, I kind of realized that a lot of Learning to Crawl number one point one really did retread a lot of that, but did it in a way that I felt, oh, this is kind of fresh, and I didn't mind rereading those scenes again.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, for me, 1.1 had, I mean, even though I was concerned a little bit, you know, concerned a bit about, you know, what's what's, what's the point, what's the hook, um, I still felt that there was at least some kind of more development of character. And, and I feel like where 1.2 suffers is you don't really get that it's more just about like how to add these little embellishments and flares to existing material i mean do we really need to know who peter was eating lunch with at midtown high I, I mean you know i mean even the stuff with flash which was kind of interesting you know peter you know not wanting to throw him under the bus the way he he initially did uh when when talking to the guy the, to the social worker it's just I mean, this doesn't change really change the relationship between Peter and Flash from what we already know about them. So and it's like, what, what what are we learning here, you know?
0: Yeah, I, I like the dimensions of the character in that way, but I didn't know what motivated that change for him. Like, why did he decide to go back and, you know, help out Flash in that instance? I, I, he felt bad about it immediately and maybe it ate away at him, but where was that moment where he realized his responsibility there? And this kind of gets to, like... I guess a a bigger problem with the series for me is like, or or even just a query that I have. I wonder if this story would be better told from one consistent viewpoint instead of both, um, you know, Clayton and uh, Peter. Like, why why not just choose one person, you know, whose viewpoint we can view the whole thing with? And I I thought that was best handled, you know, actually at the end of. you know, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number one, uh, volume three, where it just told it from you know Clayton's point of view, like, and that, uh, and maybe the story would be best seen from an outsider's perspective um, instead of rehashing all this Peter stuff again.
1: Yeah, although I gotta tell you, Dan, I mean, this one point two was the first really extended time we spent with Clayton. I mean, I know we got him in the in the in the um, B story on one, and and then. In pieces in in one point one, but um, I'm not sure that this is a character that I'm all that interested in. I felt that there was some real inconsistencies in how he was being written. Um, I, I I hate to I hate to be blasphemous on the air here, but also just a little bit of uh, some alpha-isms, if I may, if you know what I'm talking about, from in, in Clayton's character. I'm I mean, sure I do. Uh, you know, is this is this just how Dan Slot likes to write teenagers? I don't know, but you know, like it's 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 a shame because clayton is really you know when you talk about a hook i mean he is the new thing to read about in this comic you know you want is this a character you want to be interested in and and I, I was kind of unimpressed by what we got in 1.2 with clayton
0: well i mean i like the basic idea behind him like he's a, a fan that doesn't understand his hero and, and and what makes the you know the hero a hero um and I I think that's so true in, in fandom that you know people beg for things and and they and they try to reproduce things but they don't understand what makes something work or what they really want and I wonder if that's a dance slot is is. Um Commenting on here But my problem with the character Isn't really necessarily The way that he's written Moment to moment Like he, he reads believable to me But what I, what I don't understand Is what the character's motivations are You know At the beginning of the comic He is like Spider-Man's biggest fan And he wants to do anything he can To assist him Or to emulate him But then when he finally gets the ability To make some kind of uh, You know like press Junket or whatever To announce himself he does it by trying to like stage this thing where he's going to beat up Spider-Man. And that just didn't jive with me about his earlier motivations. What did you think?
1: No, I agree with you. And 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 I mean there are just some other things. I mean, I, I, I think for me the biggest the biggest point of dissidence was the fact that um you know, he doesn't seem like a bad kid on the surface, you know, he comes from looks like a, a a stable family, and 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 there was some money there, and and you know, he's got the scientific ingenuity like Peter does, and you know, I get the parallels and showing, you know, kind of again where 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 you know where our paths take us, but. Um, because his motivations aren't clear, I- I'm I'm not sure what what I'm supposed to be doing as the reader. Am I am I rooting for this kid? Am I you know do I want to see him have this friendship with Spider Man? Am I do I am I supposed to think he's a jerk? Am I supposed to think he's out of his mind that he's a stalker? It's it's I feel like Dan Slott's trying to do too many things and, and float too many ideas and you know, not one of them is being allowed to mature it. And therefore I can't grab on and engage myself to it. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the money, you know, there's almost another story going there comparing, you know, what is one kid like who is struggling to make money and, and the other one who has it, you know, uh, readily available to him. Um, and, you know, if that's a theme here, you know, we see the beginnings of it really starting to play out, but yeah, again, I I don't really know what it means at this point. And hopefully it will develop in the future, but yeah, it's a little it's a little muddied. Like I agree with you completely.
1: Yeah, I mean you know, and they, and they even give us the the why why don't things ever work out for me scene with Clayton in the beginning when he's you know trying to uh, I guess apprehend the vulture and you know he's still learning his powers and then he finds out the Spider Man is around and he doesn't get there in time. And again, I, I see where the parallels are. I, I see what Dan Danson is doing. It's a little obvious to be to to be frank i mean you know maybe we could be it could be a little more subtle with the parallels with with peter and spider-man in the early days but um beyond that like i, I you know there's nothing for me to to latch on to this character am i like i said am i supposed to like him or hate him you know i don't know i, I it's it's and it's not like that oh shades of gray kind of amb, amb, ambiguity it's just kind of like oh okay he he, he seems to be kind of going on all all levels of characterization here.
0: Yeah. Hey, I, I have a complaint, and um, this is a minor one, so you can tell me whether I'm, like, completely off my rocker here. Okay. What do you think about, uh, like, Clash's power set? He has these kind of, like, sound propulsion units, but to my mind, I don't really understand how it works within even within comic book logic that he is using the sound to fly around the city. Like, how is he not, like, completely deafening everybody like wouldn't you need some kind of sonic boom to have sound actually like cause any kind of a physical reaction like he's just using like if i could if i clap my hands really loudly can i propel myself off the ground like what right. how how is that working and like you see there's a sequence and i don't know if this is on the writer or and it's probably on the artist you know you have a scene with clash flying around town and there's these birds sitting on perches near him and they're just not moving or like Flying away from him, yeah, and I'm wondering, or like, or yeah, yeah, like, what's the deal? Like, is he just quietly puttering around the city? You know, um, and I, and people reference like, oh, he's flying with a tune, and I think that's a cool idea, but like, you know do his machines make sound physical like i don't know i need a little more of an explanation
1: yeah and then i guess you could also then challenge the physics of how he's able to kind of like stand upright as he's being propelled in the air and all that too i mean well that seems- i
0: mean whatever iron man does it i'm not so bothered by like the, the you know the Well, I- iron man has
1: like thrusts and propellers and stuff like that i mean this is the sound waves right i mean yeah, from- it's true, yeah. it's true it's true well, I mean,
0: I mean, those kind of things I forgive a little bit. I mean, we do have a guy oh. swinging around on webs, but... So that's so that's where you draw the line. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It's all very loose. That's why I asked if it, I was being crazy. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I just... I would feel like the sound should be deafening in some well,
1: way. Well, I think if you're going to dismiss my inability to... In my inability to suspend disbelief, then I'm going to call you crazy all across the board. How's okay, that sound? Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> um... Yeah. Well, um, what else? I mean, you you were talking about Ramon Perez and his birds, but um, other than that, I mean, I I did find the artwork on this book to be great. I mean, I don't know. I just I it's vintage, but it's more than that. You know what I mean? It's it's just good art. Period. I think, right?
0: Yeah, and I love how he's been doing this in all of the issues where he like he splits up his panels, you know, uh, to guide your eye through the action and slowly reveal things. Anytime an artist does that. And we talked about this actually in the, the second Superior Spider-Man annual. Um, and, uh, you know, you have a character moving through the same background. Um, and, and I like that. The, the fight sequence between Clash and Spider-Man, if you want to call it that, where he, like, inverted the colors um, when the action was occurring. Uh, well, not Ramon Perez, the color, but I, I thought that was really beautiful
1: yeah no i i i agree i mean yeah i was i mean to me my favorite was probably the, the 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 spider-man clash fight in terms of the visualization um what did we think of peter in that scene with clash i mean it's like i feel like this book is really playing up those unlikable characteristics from the dicko era huh
0: yeah i mean he got like, what he swings off and just takes the money um i'm guessing there's a lesson to be learned there um, I'm yeah. interested to see how that weaves. And here I go against, you know, uh, what I said earlier. But I, I would actually like to see how um, that, you know, because that's clearly setting up a checkoff gun to be fired where he kind of gets his comeuppance for taking the money. I, at least I would hope so. Um, and I'm interested to see at what point in time that concludes and how it coincides with the original issues. If, you know, this story arc ends in a way that, like, changes Peter Parker's attitude towards superheroics as we're probably going to talk about uh, when we discuss Amazing Spider-Man number 1. You know, his original motives were not really that great.
1: Yeah. No, agreed, agreed. Um just just quick uh what did you think of that ending with Aunt May?
0: I don't know what to think about it. I mean, clearly we know she doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man. So like I don't know if like I could say that like I'm anticipating finding out like What it is she thinks that he's doing But I'm not really that excited about it
1: Yeah, I mean You know, I I, I hate to And I did this in the last episode We talked about learning to crawl I mean, I I, I hate to bust out the comparisons But like, you know, again, this is where I feel this is You know pales in comparison to like untold tales of spider-man where I feel like untold tales of spider-man took the established continuity and still just tried to tell its own story. It, 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 it took chances. It felt a little more uh, assertive and, and, and in how it kind of like expanded on Peter and spider-man's universe uh, in that early Ditko era. Whereas this, it's like, you know, we, we know because they're playing so much within events, that have been covered already, like we, we know that Aunt May's not going to learn anything here. So then why tease it? You know what I mean? Like what's, what? it it just seems like everything else about this book is being so cautious and so, and so tentative about um, actually impacting continuity. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have characters like Clash that kind of get brought in, but again, it's not affecting anything about any prior relationship so so then why go somewhere with may and and have that scene there when when you know that the payoff isn't going to be all that interesting so it that's 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 just kind of like my other general complaint on top of you know what's the hook and all that it's it's just you know again i feel that this 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 story isn't it's tap dancing on either trying to be new and exciting and, and reverent and, and honoring the past, and I almost kind of just wanted to pick one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, are we just going to completely dwell on the past, or are we going to just do our own thing and be new and exciting about it?
0: Yep. Completely agree with you there. Nothing more to add.
1: All right. Sorry. and I know I'm rambling.
0: No, no. <laughs> I, I, I think our listeners, uh, you, know, would, you know, like to kind of hear your overall idea.
1: Yeah. Um, so you want to go to grades, Dan? Yeah, let's do it. Um, what would you give this, Dan? I'm going to give it a C+. Okay, I'm, I'm right there
0: with you, C+. All right. Well, let's move into our comments and emails.
1: Okay, everybody, as always, you can uh, leave us comments and feedback on iTunes and Stitcher uh, by uh, searching for our podcast, Amazing Spider Talk. And when you find us, uh, leave a comment, leave a rating, give us good ratings, give us bad ratings if you have to, but we really don't want you to. But we'll read it on the air regardless because Dan and I are good chaps like that, right, Dan? Yeah, we try to be. Yes. So how about I take this first comment from iTunes here? Uh, This is from uh, our good friend Ryan Bondi, who uh, titles Best Spider-Man Commentary Out There, 5 out of 5. So see, here's a good comment, and we're going to read it. Uh, As a guy who spends a lot of time scouring the internet for Spider-Man news, these two are the best out there. Not only is their content incredible but their voices are just generally enjoyable to listen to. I don't know if my girlfriend would agree with that. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if my wife would either. Uh, But he continues, just listen to one episode and you will be hooked. After the first episode I heard, I became a member of their obscenely long titled fan club, just so I could hope to be involved in their work. Thank you for your commitment to spider fan excellence. Until Marvel Marvel permanently offs Peter Parker in every continuity, make mine amazing spider talk. P.S. Go Blue Mark. And that is right, go blue and and down with the Ohio State. Right, Ryan? Trust me. He he knows what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> I have no idea no idea what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. We've talked about this on Twitter a couple of times. So uh
0: Well, why don't, why take, don't I take the next one? You got it. Okay, this next one is from your friendly neighborhood Tim, and uh, he, he titles it, Why am I just now finding this podcast? Five out of five. I can't believe I'm just now finding the podcast, but so incredibly glad I did. With being a die-hard Spider-Man fan all my life, it's great to actually find a podcast completely about him. The only regret I have is that I wish I had known about the guys from day one of the podcast. Keep up the good work, and can't wait to hear more. Um, well, Tim, I guess you could get in a time machine or something
1: like that. And what's he talking about, Dan? There were only 1.2 episodes into this
0: podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, Tim, all of them are still up on the feed. So go back and listen to us. Like uh, we had that fan last episode who listened to every episode of us in like, what, two weeks?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Something well, crazy that was we, like that. Yeah. He did like the, the Breaking Bad uh, binge watch, but with uh, Amazing the Superior Spiral Talk, which I just I mean, I tip my hat to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, do, we, uh, do we want to read some emails, Dan?
0: Yeah, of course. Of course, you can reach us via email by emailing us at amazingspidertalk at gmail.com. And if you do, uh, we may address and read it on the
1: air. Yes, and, and this first one is from our good friend Tom Aiello, who writes in, uh, The being such huge Spidey fans, have you ever used something you read in a Spidey comic that has helped you in your lives? Uh, Dan, I'll let you go first on this one.
0: Well, um, you know, this is kind of hard because either you know, reading it so long and, and remembering key instances, you know, that I've done. I'm sure there's some science thing that I picked up, or um, although <laughs> the science in Spider-Man comics is loose at best. Right. Um, but you know, the great power, great responsibility uh, mantra. You know, it's one. You know, I like to think that I try to live my life by, and I and I've definitely have like written it on my students comments and uh and and said it many times in my life and you know with the collection that i you know mark and i have going you know spider-man is you know a very influential force in our lives obviously um but using something directly from it i don't know other than kind of like living by the mantras that we believe in i mean clearly we're attracted to this character for a reason
1: yeah i mean i know for me personally there was that one time i was buried alive and um I ate some spiders, and I was able to pull myself out of the ground so is that you. how is that how that works thank you craven 's last hunt
0: <laughs> um,
1: no i I mean, like you, Dan, I mean with great power comes great responsibility i mean it 's not even just must also I, must also come great responsibility i mean it 's not just a, a often misquoted phrase it 's also a pretty good way of life you know i i I actually remember when I was in uh Junior high school, I wrote a, a term paper on on uh, Orwell's Animal Farm, and uh, I used "with great power must also come great responsibility" as as like the thesis of my paper, describing you know the animals. And I think my teacher was like, "The book's about communism. Why are you writing about Spider Man?" But um, beyond that, yeah, I mean, like, I, I I definitely find that 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 those words, you know, hold true in my life, and you know probably worked their way in more than i even realized a lot of times
0: yeah i do know speaking of school i do know that my first book report i ever did was of a spider-man trade paperback
1: and okay. i was like
0: ah i'm totally cheating on this so yeah i guess and then i got a bad grade so i learned my lesson but i you know i totally made a diorama of spider-man like, I... <laughs> fighting robots
1: I definitely did a, a book report on. I don't know if you remember this. This was like they they ran excerpts of it in um, a, some issues of Amazing Spider-Man during the '90s. It was like a uh, a novel collection of Spider-Man short stories.
0: Oh, well, um, I know the novels. There's like the Venom Factor, which I remember reading when I was younger.
1: No, I mean this one. I think the name of the book is actually Ultimate Spider-Man, oh. but not but not meant to be, obviously. Um, I think Stan Lee wrote a couple I think David Michelinie might have written a short story too I mean it was like written by actual comic book people Um, I still have the book I think it's in my parents' house Uh, I'd have to take a look at it to see Who else was a part of it But I definitely wrote a book report on it I don't know how I did I don't remember how I did on it Um, But I think if you go back Is it Are they the, um, the flip book issues maybe? You know how, like, in the late 390s, there were a couple, like, flip books that they put out? Yeah,
0: yeah, I have a couple of them.
1: um, I think there might be, like, excerpted chapters from this book in there. Because it was, like, a mid-90s thing. It was, like, 94, 95 this book came out. So, Well, my
0: book report was on Spider-Man Round Robin, which, like, I have Uh, kind of, like... uh, I I kind of enjoy that book now for the, like, nostalgia factor of it. But, like, yeah... Uh, you know Bagley's art is fun, I guess, but beyond that, it's kind of a it's kind
1: of a weird team up starring series. Night Thrasher and Moon and, Knight. Don't forget Moon Knight Moon, right? and Punisher. Hey, Mo- hey Moony, uh, Nova. Although it's not Richard Ryder Nova, right? It's like yeah, who cares no, Nova? Yeah, um, Yeah, that 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 is it, and Darkhawk. Don't forget Darkhawk. Yes, Darkhawk. Danny Fingeroth creation, I believe.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed uh, Darkhawk.
1: <laughs> i mean when
0: i was like eight
1: okay <laughs> yeah um that's i there's a lot of like early mid-90s asms that had have, i haven't read it in a long time so i can't i, I don't know if i could classify round robin as my least favorite story from that era because it's probably worse um but i mean man if that's not indicative of like the middle of the david micheline years although i know he did, I, I think that was al milgram who wrote that right I yeah, think Michelini I was on, so. on was on hiatus. Al Milgram, uh the the creator of that wonderful Spider Man Black Cat relationship that you love so much. Um <laughs> anyway. so, Mark. I know. Uh how about we get to this other question? Why don't you read this one, Tom? Yeah, uh, this
0: one's from Dennis. And um, you know, he uh picked up his own copy of the Death of Gwen Stacy and um is starting to collect books himself, so congratulations there. Yes um and he, you know, got him thinking about how he looks at getting books for his collection, um, you know, at a little bit lower of a price than in excellent, excellent condition. And so he um, was curious what our standards for uh, are for on our collections and if they vary depending on the issue.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, um, you know, I, I kind of take great pride in the fact that I I look for what I call to be low grade but acceptable looking copies of Spider-Man because you know I am operating within a budget and and I'm not looking to to blow up that budget unless uh a deal presents itself that is just too irresistible but um you know I I could safely say probably in the first 100 issues um the, of Amazing Spider-Man that I own um the vast bulk of them are kind of in that very good to good very good Uh, You know, grade level, Um, you know, so I guess like on the 10 point scale, like 3.0 to 4.0. And but for me, I mean, my standards are, um, you know, not not that I want the interior of the book to be total crap. But I I, I need that the cover needs to have eye appeal. And by that, it's like I don't like writing on the cover. You know, if there is creasing and chipping, it just needs to be along the outer edges or in the corners, like not in the center image. Um, you know, I, I'm not into buying restored books cause I feel like the, that's kind of weird ground in terms of what the actual grade ends up being. Um, but yeah, I mean, if the interior is like got kind of like slightly yellow pages or if there's something on the back cover, that's like, like a marker or something like that, that doesn't bother me all that much. To me, it's all about the eye appeal of the front. You know, because that's what I'm going to look at 99% of the time when it, when it comes to an old comic book.
0: Yeah, this is something that I am still kind of figuring it out. Um, you know, I've managed to try to buy, like, I'm like you, Mark. I like the front to look really nice. And typically, if the cover is nice, the interior is usually pretty good. Um, I'm looking for readers' copies, you know, uh, and I, I typically, and this is probably going to go against a lot of people's better interests, uh, but uh, our instincts, but I. Um, I Often will buy them and then look through the comic and read it once for myself before putting it away um just for that experience of holding it in my hand and reading it like it was meant to you know be read um, yeah so you know I'm not too sacred about these things i mean now, that that really will depend on the issue if I got my hands on a number one, you know uh I might not be doing that um. Well, especially if it's slabbed. I'm not going to open the slab.
1: Like my copy. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I, I know. Thanks thanks Mark. I've had it well, had hey. one escape my grasp for for twice now, so I'm I'm a little burned.
1: Yeah. It's kind but, of your your white whale.
0: <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, or yellow whale in in, yeah, there, in your you in your case.
1: Yeah, true. See
0: what I did there? Okay. I I what you did. Um, but, um, yeah, you know, actually th- this week, I, actually today, I, I I re-bought my first issue. I bought a, n- a number 28 again mm-hmm. um, because my other one was – it's that it's that uh, Molten Man cover with the darkness.
1: Yeah, and, that's a tough one. Um,
0: my other one was so beat up, uh, I, I just couldn't stand looking at it. So a new one came in and whatever. It was 50 more bucks and why not? Um,
1: Only and, money. Know,
0: yeah, I mean, Yeah. It, it, and and it bothers me looking at it in my collection. So, who knows? I mean, I could see myself going insane and you know refurbishing some issues that I'm not happy with. But I don't think that's really going to happen. That one's just like one that really sticks out to me. So yeah, I'm with you, Mark. Readers' copies with a nice looking cover.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the moral of the story is you know from two people who obviously are are serious about collecting. I mean, you know, you hear from these people on like boards and message rooms and stuff about you know they only want cgc copies and all this stuff i mean you know your collection is your collection and you know as long as you're you're happy with what you had then who cares what other people do but i mean i i I think you can take total pride in having something that isn't a pristine gem mint edition of a comic and be okay with it you know what i mean like so um I, i hope that helps you out dennis All right, Mark. Why don't you go with the next one for us? All right. uh, This next question is from Zachary Young. And Zachary uh, writes, who's our favorite writer and artist and who's our least favorite writer and artist? Um, Can we – we'll give some abridged answers here, Dan, because this could probably become a a podcast in itself at some point.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to – I think for me, I have – I'm going to exclude Ditko and Stan Lee. Yeah,
1: I think that kind of goes with it. Yeah.
0: and you know it's tough to choose because there's been artists and, and and writers who are kind of uneven. Like yeah. you know, if I had to say who wrote my favorite stories, like outside of them, it might be Straczynski, but he also wrote you know some, some pretty, pretty bad, bad stories. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know I might say Roger Stern, but his run was really short. You know, yeah. in, in the grand scheme of things, and and so, you know, who has the most number of quality issues? I don't know. Um, it's really tough. Mark, do you have an answer like right off the top of your head?
1: Well, for Ryder, yeah, Roger Stern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's, it's short but it's not that short. And Plus he's got the spectacular run and he's done some miniseries um, that have been pretty good. I mean like you know, Hobgoblin lives and Revenge of the Green Goblin, which I thought were both really good minis. Uh, but that, that his run on Amazing is like uh, – I mean like to me there's not a bad issue in, in the whole run. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even even when, even like some of his things, like with the Fool Killer and Tarantula and 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 uh, Mister Hyde and Cobra. These are characters that, you know, either you don't think of as being Spider Man villains, or they're not A list Spider Man villains. His his stuff was 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 solid. And then his stuff that was good was transcendently good. Uh, I mean, you know, between all the Hobgoblin stuff, um, the, uh, nothing Can stop the Juggernaut, the the Kid Spider Man. Um, uh I'm I'm probably leaving out major stuff here. The oh his first black cat story, which we uh, recently wrote about on Chasing Amazing. Um to me it's definitely Stern. And in terms of artists, I mean I'm with you. I don't wanna I, I don't want to include Ditko. And I kinda don't want to include Romita Senior because that's always my other default. And yeah, I feel that's
0: like... just a given.
1: Um so um you know, I, I'm gonna get lampooned for this because He's really not a proficiently good artist, but because it's so much about my childhood, I'd probably say McFarlane. Well, uh, speaking
0: of McFarlane, you know he might be my least favorite writer. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> doom, 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 doom.
0: Sorry. <laughs> no. Okay. So, like, going back to my favorite writer, I, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna say, um, you know, Roger Stern is, pro- is probably the guy. But um, I think for as many good issues as he had, you know, I think Straczynski has as many good issues if mm-hmm. you exclude all the editorial stuff that was done towards the end of his run. Yes. Um, so those two are about tied in my mind. I mean, I think Straczynski's first story on Spider-Man is about as good as Spider-Man comics, comics can get, if not one of my favorite stories.
1: Yeah, I can't argue with there.
0: Um, and so favorite artist, you know, uh, for me uh, – if we're talking about on Amazing Spider-Man, it's going to be um, – besides the first two is John Romita Jr. OK. Not Bagley, huh? Um, well, I, uh, for me, it would be Bagley on Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, like his stuff on Amazing is good, I think, and All I right. love his depiction of the symbiotes. But I don't yeah. think he really hit his stride until like Ultimate Spider-Man and, and he really developed towards the end of his run on Ultimate
1: Spider-Man. Yeah. Well JR Jr is a good choice. I can't I can't fault you there. So um how about least favorite? Um Todd McFarlane's a little too easy uh as a writer. So I'm gonna rise above it all and <laughs> go with um another favorite punching bag in Spider Man circles, Howard Mackey.
0: Um uh, that's pretty good. I Yeah <laughs> Yeah, H- Howard Mackey is not my favorite either. Um yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll just go stick with my my statement of Todd McFarlane because the guy clearly just didn't give a rat's ass about it at all.
1: No, no. He just he just wanted to you know not have to draw other people's plots. I mean that was what it boiled down to. And he kind of pulled that whole book was him pulling a power play, and then he left after what like eight issues to do Image. So I mean. Like I said, he's my childhood, and, like, when I look at his art, I get reverted back to, like, my eight-year-old self, and I'm all giddy about it. But, I mean, you know, thinking about it as a rational adult, it's not like Todd McFarlane, like, is a great contributor to Spider-Man history, you know, beyond just the commercialism of it, I guess, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. um, I could also
1: throw out there for least favorite writers, uh, Danny O'Neill. That run is brutal. Yeah, on of Wolfman. Well, Wolfman, you know, like, I think, yeah, I mean, but, like, it's that's Daniel, kind of
0: unremarkable.
1: Yeah. There's I mean, so the, many
0: bad Spider-Man stories, it's hard to just isolate one person, you know?
1: Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. Um, what about for artists, least favorite?
0: Mark, I have to say, and this is um, one that kind of baffles me because I see him all over Comic Vine all the time, and... Um, and he does uh, Invincible Universe, and I love Invincible, but I'm, I haven't read Invincible Universe. And, I, and I, uh, I, I, pick, I don't pick up that book particularly because of Todd Knox artwork, mm. which just really just hits me in a really, like, bad place. I don't know what it is. All of his characters' faces look kind of goofy to me. And he did the Peter David uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man artwork, and that's and a book I've just you know, never gotten into because I – that artwork just is so repellent to me
1: yeah i mean for me with artwork um you know there's a lot of stuff from like the 70s and 80s which isn't great like you know like like the um like keith pollard stuff and um uh al milgram's stuff on spectacular but like you know i want to try and pick somebody that actually has like some name recognition that you know where my opinion might actually like Raise some eyebrows. So, I'm actually going to say for least favorite, Eric Larson.
0: Oh, you know what? I, I agree with you on that. I mean, I guess his lasting contribution is, is Venom's Tongue. But <laughs> uh, to me, yeah, he felt like a really odd choice. And, and, and I, I think it was, you know, his artwork, but maybe even the inking done on his books too was really kind of
1: scratchy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like his artwork is kind of like if McFarlane and Rob Liefeld had a love child. And anytime you bring like Rob Liefeld into it, I, I hate Rob Liefeld's art. So um, you know, just in terms of its, cra- you know, wonky anatomy and 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 just you know weird facial expressions. And so um, you know, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Larson to to be a little daring in my choice there.
0: Well, there you go, Zach. I hope that was enough of an answer for you. I think that
1: was. I think that was a good answer. No, no, it
0: was a great answer. No, I, I, I was
1: blown away by how much we had to talk about that. Yeah. Well, you know, we 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 like we like we like to talk about favorites and least favorites. I don't know. That's, I bet we could
0: do like several shows on this. So <laughs> yeah,
1: I we'll 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 do we'll have to do a best in show kind of thing where we do you know take you know a specific writer or artist, but you know that that can come when we get some donations and subscriptions which segues into If you growl, if you groan, with the dower hour up will give you howl, give you moan, you can lose your power, but the keeping trim and in step with the
0: thin and of the very marble. Be an early riser, Well, Mark, that was the smoothest transition I've ever heard.
1: Ugh. You just, you just totally threw me under the bus, so I congratulate you. Um.
0: Well, like Mark said, now is the time of the show where we thank all the wonderful people who've decided to donate some of their hard-earned money to the show and have opted to join the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. This week, we'd like to welcome uh, several new members. Uh, we have Steven Sokolovic, Timothy Herring, Tushar Bargava, Vincenzo Perella, and Adam Chapman.
1: You know, I have to wonder, Dan, if a certain uh, promise that one of the co-hosts of the show made led to all these new subscriptions.
0: I don't know. Let's see if he lives up to it.
1: Yes, I, 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 I want to put out there right now, everybody, that I, you know, in, in our last episode, I mentioned that if you donated, uh, I was going to record my very own uh, Toby Maguire Spider-Man emo dance from Spider-Man 3, the Sam Raimi movie, I am going to do that. Uh, you, we will be looking for it. Uh, hopefully, maybe in, in a very soon-to-be-future episode of uh, Amazing Spider-Talk, we will have a link to uh, a YouTube video of me doing a emo dance. This I'm, will happen.
0: I'm really bummed that I can't take my filmmaking talent to New York and we could do a whole sequence out of this.
1: If only this this promise was made about a month or so earlier, Dan, we would be in much better shape. But alas.
0: Yeah. Well, it's also time for our members to get their rewards. Each episode, we assign each member a number and then randomly decide who gets what free digital comic uh, from us. So this week's winners are – Mark, do you want to take the first four winners?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Brad Prosciutto wins Fantastic Four issue number three. Uh, Steven Sokolovic got uh, Amazing X-Men number seven, which is a uh, Spider-Man, Iceman, Firestar team-up. Uh, Ryan Bondi gets Silver Surfer number two, and uh, Alton Labrec gets Original Sin number one.
0: Um, from me, uh, Timothy Herring wins both uh, number issue one and two of Miles Morales Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, Tushar Bargava wins Original Sin number two. Thomas Ayello wins Daredevil number three. Vince Perella wins Fantastic Four number five. Alton wins again, Thanos number one, and Guardians of the Galaxy number 15.
1: There you go. Well, congratulations to all of our winners, uh, and hope you enjoy the free comics.
0: Yeah, if you would like to receive free comics, you're going to have to join our program and become a member of the Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club. Uh, Please go to our site and click on the giant button that reads Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club. I'm really getting tired of saying this name. <laughs> don't forget to email us to receive your free comics.
1: Yeah, and uh, again, I guess you know, coming up pretty soon, we got to start taking some requests, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So look forward to that this summer.
1: Yeah, we'll, we'll be soliciting you when the time comes. Uh, so why don't we get to some spider news, Dan? I by. guess the big thing is, um, come September, correct? Um, there's going to be, as part of the Spider-Verse event, there's going to be this Edge of the Spider-Verse miniseries, um, which is going to focus on some of the alternative timelines, Spider-Man, like Spider-Man Noir and and a few others. I think one of the more interesting one was uh, the, the Gwen Stacy character, right, Dan?
0: Yeah, well, they're inventing a couple of new universes uh, and new Spider-Man characters. And one of them, Gwen Stacy got bit by the spider instead of Peter Parker. And um, what's interesting about that to me is that it seems that her father, Captain Stacy, is going to be her inspiration for whether or not she does good as the character. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see... Um, you know, how she can be inspired to be, you know, a civil servant maybe, but also keep it a secret from her father. You know, it sounds like an interesting idea.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm into it. And, and the renderings I saw of, of the character look pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if I just saw her randomly, if I would recognize it as Gwen Stacy, but, you know, pretty cool looking character. Um and I mean, the other stuff looks good. I mean, it, it does seem like this Spider Verse is going to be kind of following in the Spider Island mold, where there's going to be a lot of additional content, Dan. Right?
0: Yeah. Um, and if it's as good as uh, Spider Island, I'd be happy to pick up all of it.
1: Yeah. Although some of those miniseries I could take or leave. But um, that's true. But on, and then also on the downside is you know when you when you look at the solicitations, it looks like more and more Spidey comics and Marvel comics in general are starting to hit that four ninety nine price point.
0: Yeah, all these Uh-oh. Edge of the Spider verses are are three are three ninety nine, which I guess is okay because they're all thirty two pages, you know, long. Right. But like expecting us to buy a three ninety nine book every week in addition to the other things, it's starting to get you know, pretty expensive.
1: Yeah, I mean. This is this is this is a habit, and you know I I got to hand it to Marvel. Um, you know I'm starting to pull more of their other stuff like Silver Surfer and the Original Sin I've been interested in so far, and the and the James C. Robinson Fantastic Four, even though there's talk that that might get canceled soon. Um, so you know they're they're hitting me with a lot, and I, I'm I'm gonna have to start if there's gonna be a ton of Spidey books I'm gonna have to start picking up. Where you know I'm gonna have to start making some hard decisions when it comes to the weekly bank account. Yeah, I
0: mean, like if if comics went up to four ninety nine an issue, like, you know, what would be your reaction be?
1: Yeah, so Dan, I guess for me, um, if if Marvel was to permanently move to four ninety-nine on its titles, I mean, what would ultimately end up hurting are probably the books that they need to sell. Like I'd probably end up dropping uh some of the other books I'm reading in favor of Spider-Man and you know, those books are like Daredevil and Silver Surfer and Fantastic Four, which, you know, in terms of what needs those sales? Um, you know, Spider-Man usually wins out, and that's what I'm going to be loyal to, no matter what. Um, so, um, yeah, hope that doesn't happen, but it probably will. Um, and then, I guess our last bit of news is about uh, some Hollywood news with Amazing Spider-Man three, right, Dan? Yeah, um,
0: you know, and I, I always I've been reluctant to report this on my site because I don't really like running rumors, and that's kind of really all we have here. But when a rumor like this, Amazing Spider-Man 3 getting pushed back to 2017 has, uh, you know, kind of been this pervasive and has gone with no response, you know, it begins to look more real. You know, when when Sony doesn't comment that it isn't true, you know, that kind of verifies it as being true.
1: Yeah, the old non-denial denial, denial, you know. (laughs)
0: Yeah, but I I wonder if there's some like misreporting going on here. You know, um back when they, you know, announced Amazing Spider-Man 2 and we're talking about all these deals that were being made, you know, they they planned like you know, they they set a slot for Amazing Spider-Man 3 and Amazing Spider-Man 4. But um, you know, Mark Webb is only hired on for 3 films and so is Andrew Garfield, and so there's these kind of weird rumors that have been going around that Andrew Garfield might not be in Amazing Spider Man 4, and it might just be about another character, you know, that's just tentatively titled Amazing Spider Man 4. And that was scheduled for 2017. And I wonder if maybe Amazing Spider Man 4, we had, we, you know, they reported it all wrong, and that was always meant to be Amazing Spider Man 3, um, and that the placeholder they put what we thought was Amazing Spider Man 3 was something like the Sinister Six film or the Venom film. Um, so I don't know, but, uh, you know, box office results have not been stirring for amazing Spider-Man two in the States. It hasn't even passed $200 million yet, which has been, you know, surpassed by a number of films this summer. So I think Sony is kind of freaking out a little bit about this property.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, there's still those ongoing persistent rumors that, you know, they're going to cut some kind of deal with Marvel to, um. I don't know, kind of save the day and reassert some creative control and you know I almost wonder at this point if that's what this this franchise needs but we'll see.
0: Yeah, and I don't really know why Marvel would would do that. Um you know with the results not being that great, it seemed only Spider-Man at Sony would serve to benefit really that much from that. And
1: uh Yeah, but know, I think it weave it into Avengers and they get a cut of that. I mean that 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 movie will make a billion dollars. I mean, you know what I mean, like
0: <laughs> right. But if, Marvel, but if Marvel can ride it out and watch Spider Man flounder, and they get the property back, you know what I mean, like yeah, you, you're right. They could do that, but I I think their major goal, as they seem to be doing with the Fantastic Four title, is you know can they ride it out and eventually get Spider Man back at their studio? Um, yeah. I have a theory myself, um, and I I have nothing to back this up, but. Um, I wonder, you know, with the removal of Shailene Woodley from Amazing Spider-Man 2, most people counted her out, um, you know, uh, of Amazing Spider-Man 3 with her Divergent series going on. Um, But after the past couple weekends ago, uh, her, you know, The Fault in Our Stars uh, movie that is doing gangbusters at the box office, I wonder if uh, Sony is looking at that and saying, you know what, we're going to have a hard time replacing uh, Emma Stone. And her likability in the Spider-Man films, you know, maybe we do need someone like Shailene Woodley um, to bring her kind of, you know, box office power, you know, and and likability to the next film. And I wonder if maybe they might push it back just to wait um, and see if she would come
1: around. It could be. I I I don't have much to add on that, Dan.
0: So. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I think that is because. You know, from the very beginning, they said that these movies were aiming for the Twilight audience and trying to get some of that money, which is why they focused on the romance a bit more. So, you know, Twilight's done and the next big thing seems to be divergent. Like, why not tap into that? I, I don't right. know. All right. Just an idea. We'll see if I'm right and uh, in a couple of
1: years. Yeah. And in the meantime, why don't we talk about some comics some more? For our retro comic of the of the month or week or whatever you want to call it, we're actually going to be talking about the very first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man number one, which is from March 1963 by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, uh, also known as a comic book that I own and Dan doesn't. Uh, well, you know, had to throw that in there.
0: Not to be confused with Amazing Fantasy 15.
1: Not to be confused with Amazing Fantasy Fifteen, yes. This is not the first appearance of Spider-Man, but this is the first uh, appearance of Spider-Man in his own comic series. Do you find or, that,
0: like, difficult to explain to people? Like, when they're asking, you like, oh, I got Amazing Spider-Man number one. And they, like, freak out and you're like, well, it's great, but it's not really the Holy Grail.
1: Yeah, I, I do, but, you know. If I have to explain it to you, then I I, I shouldn't be talking to you about this anyway, probably. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but, um, you know, putting this aside, you know, everyone talks about what a great story, Amazing Fantasy 15 is, which it is. It's probably the best superhero origin story ever. Um, but, uh, I, I happen to think Amazing Spider-Man number one is also quite good because of the way it, um, really introduces the supporting cast in the universe that would go on to be a mainstay for over 50 years. Um, you get your J jonah jameson in this and you just get some more of the tropes and 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 kind of little quirks of of what spider-man is the parker luck and and all of these things that you you, you know that play such a key role in 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 the series for you know that that we love and love so much um i mean dan what 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 are your thoughts about this comic well, it's funny that you mention
0: you know, all these tropes that would know, continue on into the future in Spider-Man comics. But what's funny about this issue is uh, that you know, it, it tries to rehash Amazing Fantasy fifteen at the beginning. But the one thing it leaves out is that Peter caused his uncle's death and his like, learning about responsibility. And responsibility like, doesn't play uh, you know, a, a key feature in this comic at all. You know, uh, none of Peter's intentions revolve around his learning a lesson about responsibility. So, you know, as much as I enjoy this issue, and I, and I do enjoy it for all the things you've just mentioned, um, it is kind of funny how um, you know Divergent. You know, th- this this issue is from the lessons of Amazing Fantasy fifteen.
1: Yeah, although I mean there is an element I, I I mean my interpretation at least and maybe it's not too explicit is that um you know Peter Peter is trying to find a way to make money using um his Spider Man persona, but it's not not in the same vein as, as he was doing in Amazing Fantasy fifteen prior to the burglar. You know, it's like, you know, he sees his Aunt May, she's struggling to make ends meet, and there's like this, what am I going to do to support this family? Like, to me, that's him taking on the responsibility that, that comes with his power, you know? It's like, you know, he's ready to drop out of school, and, you know, of course Aunt May's not ready, you know, doesn't want her to do that. But, um, yeah, so there's some element of responsibility. I mean, it's not as explicit, and you know, you're right, they don't talk about Uncle Ben's death and his role in that but I mean, I don't think it t- totally shirks that whole element.
0: Well, it's just funny. I, you know, looking at it from a modern lens where, you know, all we hear about is the kind of like, you know, uh, you know, that untouchable story of uncle Ben, this uncle Ben, that like everything is uncle Ben, you know, and how quick, like quickly early on it like kind of went beyond that. Like that was just something that happened. And, you know, and and it's funny that over time, the uncle Ben moment gained, you know, this kind of relevance to to Spider Man. You know, that great power, great responsibility was not really like the hollowed ground statement that we know it to be today. Yeah. Um it was just something that they wrote. And um it's it's funny, you know, whether it's intentional or not, like you know, to see the, the voice of the character change and and what the comic was really about, I think, kind of kind of change itself and, and become more I guess um you know, about mythology, um, you know, of, of that statement, I guess.
1: Yeah. Um, although I will say what it lacks in power responsibility, it makes up for in terms of this whole idea of Spider-Man being kind of a public enemy, which I think is such an important part of the character's mythology. I mean, like, you know, it's, it's really what distinguished him from, almost every other superhero and kind of became the the marvel model going forward i mean you know there was this whole thing about wanting to focus on real people but you know the fact that you know he had this costumed identity and he had to maintain that secret you know at this point it's not so much because he wanted to protect the people he loved but it was because you know um Spider-Man wasn't well liked. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, I I love you know,
0: um, and I think a lot of the early Marvel comics kind of have this. They feature so much you know, normal everyday people just kind of reacting to the appearance of superpowered heroes, very much like the the Marvel's book, um, yeah. where where you get to see it from that you know, uh, ground eye view, you know, uh, and it's kind of this quirky wonder of all these early Marvel books, and it's definitely on 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 show here.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool. And of course, I mean, you know, we really don't get much of a villain in the Chameleon. I mean, I know and there there are some people who will disagree with me, but I mean, I kind of feel the Chameleon is uh, kind of a low-grade villain for the most part. Um, but we do get J. Jonah Jameson, which I mean, in some ways might be the greatest antagonist in Spider-Man history.
0: Yeah, I, I think you're probably right about that. I mean, nobody has sent... Maybe the Green Goblin, but nobody has sent more villains after Spider-Man than Jameson.
1: Yeah, I mean, sent villains and, you know, I mean, turned the entire city of New York against them pretty much. I mean, you know, outside of Flash Thompson and a couple of other people. Uh, (laughs) Even to this day. Yes, yes. But, I mean, you know, and, and Jameson, obviously, I mean, like, I mean, beyond him being an antagonist, he's just a great character, a very complex layered character i mean you even get this here i mean you know like he you know he's kind of coming across as a blowhard initially but you know then when spider-man saves his son and there's still like that like oh so you know this is this is going to be where the character turns because that's what happens in these kinds of stories and he still doesn't it's like oh there's more than meets the eye of this character there's something deeper going on here
0: yeah the demented you know twist the facts jameson makes his first appearance and you know you got to love him for his stubbornness to see yeah. the honest truth
1: um i do find it ironic uh years later that um you know essentially the fantastic 4 are like helicoptered into this book probably to kind of give it some exposure and sales because i mean at that time fantastic 4 was the marvel series um and you know here we are like 50 years later and, you know, they're like, they had to the stick Spider-Man and Fantastic Four to boost sales on that title. And, you know, now there's talk that they might cancel Fantastic Four. Um, kind of funny how how those roles have reversed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I I enjoy about these early issues, I think especially the first two, is how much they're trying to play with what is a Spider-Man story? I mean, in issue two, you get some aliens and stuff. And, and in this one, you've got, like, kind of more of an exploration of his powers. And you can see Ditko beginning to, like, play around with what he can do with his webs, with, like, parachutes and, and using it to slingshot himself, you know, across the city. And, you know, I enjoy seeing Ditko kind of, you know, get a little imaginative. But you also get a, a spider power that probably never appears again in that spider sense is used to tune into radio frequencies. (laughs) Yeah, what happened to that one? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Like, you know, the chameleon sending him messages through his spider sense. And, you know, I guess it was an interesting way. I mean, back when we didn't have cell phones and stuff like that or spider bots all over the city. Like, you know, how how would Spider-Man ever find any kind of uh, crime within two pages, you know, and and I guess that was the method to send him radio
1: frequency spider messages. I mean, Dan, I just touched upon it briefly, but what do you think of the chameleon?
0: I think he's fine. I think it depends on on the issue. You know, I kind of like the issues where Spider-Man gets angry about the androids and attacks him, and you know, there's been some interesting stories, but like, at the end of the day, the chameleon's like, he can change his appearance, but He's just a normal powered guy. Um, so like not a true adversary. I think he's best used when he's done, yeah, in part of the, the Sinister Six and he's used as kind of like the guy to spring the trap. Um, I liked him in um, uh, the Grim Hunt story where he was portraying Ezekiel and, and got the, you know, the jump on Spider-Man. But yeah, I think he's better in that kind of tricky way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I also like him. He's been used also kind of like as like a mob boss of sorts, um, like with like Hammerhead and guys like that. That kind of works, too, for the kind of the same reason. Like, you know, he's he's more of a mastermind than than a actual adversary, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: And I kind of like him in this issue where he uses Spider-Man as a scapegoat and then tries to, you know, escape him by, you know, blending into the environment you know, and he only gets right. foiled because Spider Man tears his, you know, uniform up. Uh, to me, that's kind of a clever, you know, little story right there.
1: Um, right. Right. And we do get two stories for the price of one in this one. Yeah, I do like that. I mean, that's, Although, at, at a couple of thousand dollars for this issue new, I guess it's not just two for the price of one, it's two for the price of, <laughs> <laughs> of, of thousands. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that is true. That is true.
1: Um, so I tip my hat to you, Mark. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, and we we touched upon this briefly with uh, uh, learning to crawl. Um, so you're reading this comic, and it's interesting. Is are we supposed to like Peter?
0: I don't know. Like, if I just picked this up without knowing where it was headed, I don't know that I would want to return
1: to the world of Spider-Man. I feel like in in retrospect and with hindsight you know i see it as oh yeah but you know he's developing and he's learning it's it it is funny how being a fan for years and then kind of going back you almost like defend peter as a person he's really not a likable character these first i don't know probably he probably stays this way through i don't know at least the first three or four issues i would imagine
0: yeah, and I think the appeal here, you know, i have to imagine what the appeal is, but the appeal here to me has got to be some of the, the humor of making fun of uh, superhero tropes. I mean, there's a really great bit where he goes to try to cash a check.
1: Oh, that uh, is that is probably my favorite part of this whole comic.
0: Yeah, because he's got Spider-Man written on the check, and the guy won't cash it without an ID, and, yeah. you know, to me, that's kind of a, a saving grace here of, of of the issue in many ways. Um you know that kind of thing wasn't seen in superhero comics you know at the time the kind of you know tongue-in-cheek look at at super so you know to me that that's the kind of appeal here is the deconstruction of of the superhero
1: yeah and i think also the broader thing was how this and we talked about this with fantastic four it, it really does tie together the marvel universe you got the sense that. More so from the than what you got in the distinguished competition around this time, that it was this very vast place where you know characters interacted, they didn't always get along with each other. And we're not even talking about heroes and villains, we're talking about heroes and heroes. Um, You know, then the chameleon would go on and he would be a villain in Daredevil books and Thor. And so, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like how 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 uh Marvel kind of built. Did this whole universe-building exercise? Uh, it's it's really kind of fascinating. I mean, you know, there really was a reason why Marvel just kind of exploded during this era.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an interesting book. I mean, uh, uh, there's a scene in the lab where Peter is mixing chemicals and he refers to his classmates as like kids. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, gosh, he sounds just like Doc Ock. Like I know we've said this before, but you know, it's really not a stretch to see that. You know that portrayal. You know, in, yeah. in hindsight, you know, he. Really... And speaking
1: of Doc Ock, he refers to himself as Peter Palmer at one point. Does he really? Yeah. This is this is the Peter Palmer issue.
0: Oh, you're you're absolutely right. It is. I guess rereading it, I I I've skipped over that part.
1: Yeah, or maybe it was, your your copy corrected it. But yes, uh, this yeah, is...
0: I am reading it digitally.
1: So yeah, this is the infamous um, Stanley typo, which. Um, you know, we have discussed referenced, in the past. Yeah, it was then referenced in Superior Spider-Man number nine. So, uh, sorry, Stan, we have to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> um, do we want to? Do we want to get into our goodbyes, Stan?
0: Yeah, why not? Of okay. course, you guys can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts at superiorspidertalk.com or find us on iTunes by searching Amazing Spider Talk. And if you do. Please make sure to leave us a rating and comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll read it on the air. If you have any opinions on these comics or any questions, please make sure to email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at and we'll address and read them on the air. Yeah,
1: and be sure to check out both of our Facebook pages at facebook.com slash superiorspidertalk and facebook.com slash chasingamazing, because they are great places to keep up with us in between shows, as we often put up articles that we've written and other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe. It's also a good way to get in touch with us. And also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider-Talk Members Club that helps us support our show.
0: Of course. Mark, I've kind of got some unfortunate news to announce here to the fans of the show. Um, So thanks for listening to this point. Um, I don't know how to say this, but um, unfortunately, I will be moving from Maryland to Los Angeles over the next couple weeks. Um, And I'm taking 11 days to drive across the country, find a new apartment, and then get Internet. So I don't know how long I'm going to be without Internet or recording abilities for, um, which means that I'm not going to be able to record or edit the show in that time. Um, uh, we, we wish we could provide you more content during that hiatus, but um, uh, it, unfortunately, we have to take a little bit of a break on the show until probably like mid-July, uh, we'll, we'll come back and we'll catch up on all the issues that we've missed um, in that little bit of a gap.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Dan, we'll, we'll we'll get by, and you know, life happens, and obviously, we all wish you the best of luck and what you're doing. But you know, don't don't fret, we will be back. But, um, you know, if you have a little if you have a little bit of gap, uh, just hang with us, stay stay subscribed, and and we promise when we're back, we'll we'll be we'll be better than ever.
0: Yeah, the podcast isn't going anywhere, so don't worry about that. Uh, in fact, I think this might actually you know lead to some better things. I can cover the San Diego Comic Con. From out there, and uh, and all the big comic shops in LA, that will lead to more and more interviews, and even probably even better uh, recording environments. So, good things are all on the way, and um, you know, it just means that I have to go and completely uproot my life. Um, so, unfortunately, that means a hiatus for the show. So, you know keep listening listen to some old episodes still write into us i'll have the internet so i can re- reply to your emails and write to you and and things like that so uh just hang in there guys
1: hang in hang in and, and dan where, where can we find you while you're traveling across country like a nomad
0: of course, you can always follow me on Twitter at, at DanGavosden, where I'll be tweeting about my trip and all the things that I'm seeing in L.A. Um, you can go to my website at DanGavosden.com. You can go to my movie review website, which is the reason why I'm moving to L.A. and how I make all of my uh, you know, bacon that I bring home. Uh, and that's <laughs> GrindMyReels.com. You can read all my Spider-Man work at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com or follow us on Twitter at SupSpiderTalk.
1: We sure will. And, Dan, for me, you can find me on www.chasingamazingblog.com, on Twitter, at ChasingASMblog. You can find my uh, Gimmick or Good column at Comics Should Be Good. You can find some of my top ten lists at whatculture.com. And hopefully by the time uh, we get back uh, from our hiatus, I'll have some other news about some other really cool places to find my writing.
0: Awesome, Mark. Well, I know I'm going to be reading you as I drive for a week and a half across the country. So uh, I really look forward to it.
1: Absolutely. Um, and, and you know, I, I do want to say that for the month of uh, July, you know, last summer I did my uh, summer reading series on Chasing Amazing on the original Hobgoblin saga. Well, uh, I do want to announce to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the first appearance of the black suit. I'm going to do a retro uh, review flashback on the original black suit saga that's ASM 252 to 258. The, those wonderful Tom DeFalco Ron Friends issues, and yeah, you know, maybe by the time we get back, we can have old Ron back on, so he could he could tell me how I did on dissecting his his thirty year old work,
0: and maybe even Tom DeFalco,
1: <laughs> and that would be even better. The legendary Tom. DeFalco.
0: Sorry, I, I sorry, I, I I'm gonna
1: have to you know pay him a little small installment of money for messing that up. Yeah. <laughs> well, before you pay him any installments, just just remember the advice of our wonderful Uncle Ben and that advice would be with great podcasts there must also come amazing spider talk